When I was a kid growing up in uh, Massachusetts and in Maine, our family lived in, area, in an area where we got a lot of snow each winter. And uh, one winter when, when I was a, a younger boy, I, I was out shoveling uh, our driveway after the first snowstorm of the season. And, and I noticed that the neighbors across the street who were having a tough time with some health issues, uh, they hadn't gotten their driveway shoveled out yet. And, and as I shoveled our driveway, there was this battle that was going on within me. I, I mean, I wanted to get done with my chore and get done with shoveling so I could get on down the street and play with my friends. But I was also sensing within me uh, something that I realized now was God speaking to me. And God was saying, David, go across the street and help them by shoveling their driveway and their sidewalk. I mean, it was like right out of uh, Proverbs eleven seventeen, where the writer of Proverbs says, your own soul is nourished when you are kind, but you destroy yourself when you are cruel. And you see, what God was saying to me that day was, David, I know that you have something that you want to do, but, but what I want you to do is to set aside some of your time, some of your agenda, and go across the street and be kind to these people, help these people. Just bless them by being good to them and watch what happens. Now, I have to admit, you know, half of me, the, the sinful half of me was saying, you know, I don't want to do this. I don't think so, God. I, I, I want to get out of here. I want to go play with my friends. But, but the other half of me was saying, I really need to do this. And so I ended up doing it. And, and the only way I can describe to you what happened to me was it was like this, this wave of warmth came over me. It was like this, this feeling of, of well-being swept over me. And when it did, my feelings of frustration about wanting to do what I wanted to do and not doing it uh, began to, to dissipate and go away. Folks, the writer of Proverbs is true. He's right when he says, your own soul is nourished when you are kind. Well, well that's what this morning's message is about. As we are wrapping up our series today from this book of Proverbs uh, on this Community Outreach Emphasis Sunday, and we're wrapping up our series by looking at this topic of doing goodness, being kind, doing good deeds for others. And I want to say to you today that this message is not about us being good people, but it is about us doing good. It's about us doing good because as the writer of Proverbs says to us in Proverbs eleven seventeen, it feels good to do good. Almost every time that you and I do something for someone that we can do for others, we experience this, this refreshing wave of nourishment over our souls. Whenever we do good, we feel good. You know, I see that all the time in, in the ministries that I serve with, in, with people here in, in the life of our church. Whether we're ministering together here at church or whether we're ministering in the local community and some of these ministries that we've seen highlighted this morning on the DVD or that we've talked about, uh, whether it's on mission trips to faraway places, you know, there are times when I have seen people work themselves to the bone all day long. And, and, and at the end of the day, being tired and being worn out, there's this satisfied look on their faces that says, man, do I ever feel good? And why is that? Why is it that when we do good, we feel good? Well, well, I think there are several reasons, but I, I think the biggest reason is that, that we are made in the image of God. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within us. 
You see, the Bible tells us that God by nature is a good God, and he delights in doing goodness, and he's been doing goodness in the life of our world all through the history of the world. And so being made in God's image, you and I, you see, have a a high goodness potential. You and I have an enormous capacity for doing that which is good. And then when you add to that that we are followers of Jesus Christ who experience God's grace and forgiveness of the sin in our life and, and God has forgiven us of that, that self-serving spirit that is within our human nature and, and put his spirit in us, then, then every time that you and I go out and, and we live according to the spirit and we do those acts of goodness, God smiles upon us. And, and you know, he, he says, now you're doing what I've created you to do. Now you're, you're, you're doing what I dreamed that you would do when I put breath into your lungs. Now you're doing the very stuff that, that, that I love you to do, that I've created you to do, that I've saved you from your sin to do. You are being what I've called you to be. You're doing what I've called you to do. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, the scripture talks about this when it says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What this is saying is that that when you and I do what God has created us to do, when we do goodness to others, we feel God's pleasure. We feel that warmth in our hearts. When we do good, it feels good. Now, maybe as we conclude our message series from Proverbs this morning, uh, you know, I could just quit right now in this message and say, hey, go out and do good and you'll feel good. But I can't because the writer of Proverbs has has much more to say to us uh, about this subject of doing good. And in fact, I don't know if you realize this or not, but the writer of Proverbs goes on to talk about how he, you know, we don't just simply go out and do goodness indiscriminately. And so he offers us some thoughts about that this morning. And in that, we turn to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27, where we read this. Writer of Proverbs says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. I like how the New Living Translation puts this. It says, Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. Well, what's this saying? First of all, the first part of this verse is don't withhold good from those who deserve it. What does that mean? Well, well, on the one hand, it is saying that there are those in our world to whom our goodness is due. And we've got to be making sure that as we live life in this world, they are receiving the full treatment of our goodness. But on the other hand, it's interesting that this verse is also implying and saying that there are those for whom our goodness is not due. And so we've got to figure the difference out, don't we? In other words, we've got to, you know, live wisely when it comes to doing goodness. That's what Proverbs 3.27 is saying. And if you are taking message notes and you're filling in the blank, put in that word wisely. The proverb is saying, do goodness wisely. Do goodness thoughtfully. Do it strategically. Now, now as we ponder that, let me ask us a question and And that question is, can you and I think of a situation where withholding goodness would be wiser than manifesting goodness to someone? Are there actually those to whom our goodness is not due? Well, you know, there's an example of this in the Bible, in in the early church. Uh, 
in the first century where the early church had established a food pantry to feed the poor. And, and evidently, from what Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians, there were some able-bodied men and women who, who saw the food pantry a, as a way to uh, make an easy living. And so they quit their jobs and, and they said, let's live off the goodness of the people in the church and, and off the food pantry. And, and that's exactly what they did until the apostle Paul caught wind of it. And he penned these words in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. He writes, even while we were still there with you, we gave you this rule. He who does not work shall not eat. Yet we hear that some of you are living in laziness, refusing to work and wasting your time in gossiping. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we appeal to such people. We command them to quiet down, get to work and earn their own living. And then to the rest of you, I say, dear brothers, never be tired of doing right. What's Paul saying here? Well, he's saying that the food pantry is closed to people who are fully capable of working and people for whom work is available, but who prefer not to work because they want to live off the goodness of others. And so you see, the Bible here is talking about not taking unnecessary advantage of people's goodness. And, and, and if there are jobs available and you can work and you're able-bodied, go out and make your own living. Now, obviously, in our economy, there are people who are out of jobs and, 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 and they, they can't get work at this point. They're trying, but they can't. And so what the Scripture is saying here is, is that when someone has a truly legitimate need, then don't withhold doing goodness from them. Help them out. Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good from those who deserve it. But then it goes on in the second part of the verse to say, Do goodness when it is in our power to do it. And what does that mean? Well, what it's saying here is that when you and I have the power to do goodness, do it. Just do it. And uh, don't shrink back because we have other things going on in our life because we're living our own lives and, and doing our own thing and living according to our own agenda. But, but the writer of Scripture is saying here, hey, we've got to all be making room in our lives for doing good to others. And, and don't turn away from doing good because it's out of our comfort zone. When the Holy Spirit prompts us and God has given us the resources to meet a certain need, then you and I are called by Him to do it because that's what we were created to do. That's what we saw a few minutes ago. God has saved us to do. That's what He has called us as a part of His family to be about. And so friends, I got to say to us this morning, can we imagine, I mean, can we just imagine what would happen if every follower of Jesus Christ was doing the goodness that God created us and empowered us and saved us to do? I mean, can we just imagine a world uh, of two billion Christians doing the goodness that God has called us to do because the Holy Spirit of God is dwelling and living within us? You know, every time you and I neglect doing an act of goodness that is in our power to do, we fumble a very important ball and, and we may be even missing an opportunity that we won't get again to do that goodness. And so the writer of Proverbs is saying to us today, when it is in our power to do what God has called us to do, to do that good, God is counting on us. The world is counting on us. And so do it. Do it.
This morning, as we've heard this, uh, how we're created and empowered by God to do good to others when it is due to them and when we have the power to do it, uh, I thought this week, how can I illustrate this? And, and really, the most natural illustration of this comes right out of the Scripture. And, and it's the most famous story in the New Testament on doing good to somebody. And, and it's the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And probably most of you here this morning know this story. Maybe a lot of you have even read through it a couple times. And maybe some of you here this morning, if you're seekers, you're not familiar with this story. But, but what it is, is that one day a long time ago, Jesus had gathered a bunch of people around him and he was talking with them. He was teaching them. And he tells this story. And, and in the story, he talks about this Jewish man who's traveling from Jericho uh, to Jerusalem on this Jericho road. The guy's on a business trip. And when he comes to a remote section of the road, a band of thieves accost him and, and they beat him, they rob him, and they leave him by the side of the road for dead. And Jesus tells of how a couple of guys come by. One of them is a priest and the other is a Levite. Kind of people like us here this morning, religious people, people who uh, go to church. And, uh, and, and Jesus says that they came by, they see the guy, and what they do instead is they, instead of helping him, they go over the other side of the road and they pass him by and they go on their way. They didn't stop to help him. And you know, I used to read this story, what was going on? But but then I I began to realize that maybe they had some religious reasons for doing so. For you see, the priest knew the Old Testament law, and he knew that that law said that if he touched a dead body, he would be ceremonially defiled. And and so he might have been thinking, you know, I'd really like to help, but but I don't know if the guy's dead. If I go over and touch him and he's dead, uh, I'm defiled ceremonially. Uh, you know, it might just be my luck if he's not dead. He's pretty near death. He'll die in my arms. And, and then I'm going to have to go through this rite and this ceremony in the temple and sacrifice. And, and people around me are going to see me doing this and they're going to wonder, what is it that he did that he had to, you know, be cleansed from? You know, the whole thing could, could be messy. It could hurt my testimony. Now, you know, I don't know really if that was what he was thinking. But I know we sometimes think that way. Because I know that amongst some of us as Christians, there can be at times this belief that that we've got to be living such holy lives that that we can't be associated with people who are living sinfully in this world. It's kind of called the doctrine of separation. And so in the name of holiness... Or maybe for some people in the reality, in the name of not wanting to get out of our comfort zones. Some Christians withdraw from people on the Jericho Road. On the journey of life. Who need our help. I want to be seen with people like that. And yet God is calling us to minister to them. With the love of Jesus in us. And with the goodness that is due them. And you know, I I thought too, for the Levite, Levite, what's a Levite? A Levite is a lay person in the ministry of the temple and and in the affairs of the temple. And and maybe his reasons were religious too. Uh, Maybe he thought, you know, I am on uh, my way to teach a whole group of people about the scriptures and get them involved in ministry at the temple. I I can't make them wait for just one person. And and so I know what I'll do. I'll I'll jot down this person's name or jot down the the situation that's going on here. And, And I'll challenge the young people to start a Jericho Road Society, you know, that goes out and helps people like this guy who've been beaten up and are laying on the side of the road. 
Now, I don't know if the guy really was thinking this way. But I know that we sometimes think this way. It's a kind of thinking that, that leads us as Christians to, to talk about the needs of the masses. But we never get around to helping and doing something for an individual. It's a kind of talk that, that causes us to talk about winning the world for Christ, but we don't do much to win our next-door neighbor or our classmate at school or, or the people in our places of work through, through friendship evangelism. It's a kind of thinking that, that talks about how wonderful it is that, like we heard a couple of weeks ago, how wonderful it is that a person like Marta Klein would give up all that she has to go across the ocean to the nation of Congo in Africa, the, 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 the poorest of all of the developed nations in the world. Going there as God has called her to do. But then we don't go across the street to where God has called us to go. The third man down the road, Jesus says, was, was a Samaritan. And i got to say, if the priest and the Levite were, were at the top of the list of people we'd think that would uh, stop and help this guy in the ditch, the Samaritan would have been at the bottom of the list because, folks, Samaritans and Jews literally hated each other. I had a professor in seminary that used to say that to the Jews, Gentiles were like dogs. But to the Jews, the Samaritans were like the fleas on the dog. I mean, they literally hated each other. Why? Because, you see, the Samaritans were, were the product of Jews and Gentiles who had intermarried. And, and, and so there was a hatred and there was a, a, a prejudice uh, between these two groups, much like the hatred and the prejudice that we see between ethnic groups, uh, per se, in the Middle East and other places in our world today. And yet Jesus says when the Samaritan man came down the road and he saw this Jewish man who was wounded and who was hurting and who had needs, he was filled with compassion. And he got down with him on the side of the road, disregarding his safety because he didn't know if the robbers maybe were hiding off in the bushes waiting for someone else to come along who would stop and help and they could rob him too. And in disregard for his safety and in disregard for this hatred between these two people, Jesus says he stopped and he bandaged the man's wounds. He took him to an inn. He sat up with him all through the night and he paid his bill until the guy was well enough to travel on his own. And when Jesus was through with this story that was a response to a lawyer having asked him, who is my neighbor? Jesus says, hey, he says to the guy, which of these three would you say was the neighbor to the man who was beaten up by the thugs? The two who knew their theology? The two who knew the word of God? Or the one who stopped to help? And you know, the lawyer is so prejudiced that he couldn't even say the word Samaritan. Couldn't choke it out. And so he says, well, I, I guess the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, yeah, you think? Go and do the same. Go and do the same. And you know, in this story that is so familiar to so many of us who've been around the church for so long, Jesus answers that question, who is my neighbor that we're to love and help? Who is my neighbor that we, uh, you know, that is do our goodness as God's people? 
And Jesus takes us out of the world of theory and theology and talk. And he's saying our neighbor is anyone whose need we see. And whose need we are in a position to meet. Our neighbor is anyone whose need we see. And whose need we are in a position to meet. It's as simple and as difficult as that. See, our neighbor may be someone of a different race. Maybe someone we don't even know of a different race. There's no evidence that this Jewish man and the Samaritan man, people of different races, had ever met before. Our neighbor may be someone who rubs us the wrong way. Maybe someone who's critical of us. Maybe someone who's just plain unfriendly. Hey, certainly there was great animosity and a spirit of unfriendliness between the Jewish and the Samaritan people. Our neighbor may be someone who is dirty. Someone who smells bad. Someone who's caught up in a lifestyle of drugs and alcohol. You know, there's nothing attractive about someone lying in a pool of blood by the side of the road. Our neighbor may be someone whose lifestyle we don't approve of. And certainly in our country today, we could talk a lot about that. But, but let me just simply say, certainly Samaritan and Jewish people had differing lifestyles. Our neighbor may even be someone who's unrewarding for us to help. Maybe someone who, who you know, doesn't give us anything in return if we help them. And maybe they might even be ungrateful. I mean, there's no evidence that the man who was beaten up in Jesus' story ever found the Samaritan man and, and, and said, thank you. But Jesus is saying to you and to me today that our neighbor is anyone whose need we see and whose need we are in a position to meet. And so as you and I travel down the Jericho Road, as we journey through life, the question we've got to be asking ourselves is, do we meet our neighbor's need? Are we following Jesus' words to go and do likewise? Are we living the words of the Proverbs that call us to do good to whom those it is due according to the power that God has given us to do it. You know, when you and I do goodness in that way, all of the kingdom of heaven rejoices and it makes us more effective for the kingdom of God and it brings us great joy. It brings us great joy. And so I got to say to you, people of God, the, the, the story of the Good Samaritan doesn't end here, new chapters of it are being written every day as God's people live out Jesus' commands to go and do likewise. And we love God and we love our neighbor by setting aside some of our time, some of our agenda in this busy American culture that we live in. And we say, I'm going to do not the world's thing, not my thing, but Jesus' thing. And I'm going to get involved in a life of ministry to others. I'm going to stop by and, and, and get the sheet of paper and, and take a look and, and see where maybe God is leading me to get involved. The paper at the Ministry Information Center. I'm going to take that, 
that insert that, that's there in the worship guide where it talks about ministering to our kids because quite frankly, folks, we have children and youth who come through the doors of this church on a regular basis who don't know Jesus. And many of them come from broken homes and they need the touch and the love of God's people in their lives. And yet we still have needs that have gone unmet. And all the while, God calls you and me as His people to have a ministry in the church and a mission in the world. Before we close this morning, I want to offer just a couple of very quick thoughts to help us apply this to our lives that come right from the Scripture. And the first thought I think that God is leading me to share with us that that comes from Scripture is, is don't stop doing good. People of God, do not stop doing good. In Galatians 6, 9, the Bible says, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap a harvest, a reward, if we do not grow weary. What this is saying is, is, is people of God, don't fall into that ever-present temptation to become so self-absorbed or so cynical about this world, saying, oh, what's the use? This world is such a dark and an evil place. What's my little part in this world going to do? Forget it. I can't really make a difference. I'm going to go off and do my own thing. I'm going to do what makes my life fulfilled. Friends, that, that's a temptation that's all around us all the time, isn't it? Especially as we live in this me-first, consumeristic kind of culture. And yet God is saying to us, don't stop doing good. And you know, when I see people who give into that temptation, what I oftentimes see is that their, their heart shrinks and their spirit isn't what it used to be. They just kind of shrivel up on the inside as their world becomes about them and their agenda and their projects. And that's not the heart of Christianity. The heart of being a Christian is being so filled with the goodness of God in our lives through His grace and mercy that we then just let it overflow and spill out onto others in our world. And God says that when you and I do that, there's a reward coming for us at the end. We don't have time this morning to look at Matthew 25. So if you're taking notes, right there in those notes, Matthew 25, verses 35 through 40, and go home and read that today and read about how Jesus calls us as His people to, to minister to Him by ministering to others, by, by feeding the hungry, by giving the cup of cold water to the thirsty, by clothing the naked, by ministering to the sick, by going to those who are in prison and, and ministering to them with the love of God. And and Jesus commends the people back then for doing that uh, to him. And they say, Lord, when did we ever see you in that condition? And he says, hey, whenever you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And Jesus goes on to talk about how when we live that way, when that's how you and I live our life, doing goodness and casting goodness out into others' lives, there'll be a reward at the end as he'll say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter now into your rest. You want a snapshot of what Christianity really is about? Christianity really isn't about us walking around with a head full of knowledge. Knowledge is important. Knowledge motivates us, yes. But Christianity, really the heart of Christianity is you and me going out filled with the grace of God and the goodness of God in your life and mine and ministering to others in the name of Jesus doing something like what we saw on the DVD this morning, getting involved in that or getting involved in one of these other ministries and getting involved in the lives of our kids here at church.
People of God, this is what God calls us to be. And then the last thought I want to share with you as we think about how this applies to our life is to think about what would the ultimate act of goodness be to do to someone? I mean, if you and I wanted to do goodness, it was like totally off the charts. (laughs) Wouldn't it be an introduction to someone of a relationship with God? The ultimate act of goodness is to introduce someone to a relationship with God. I mean, you want to talk about the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, think about it. It's wonderful to go out and minister to people's tangible needs, their physical needs and their emotional needs. It is so wonderful to do that. And it opens up then all kinds of opportunities for us to, and they ask, hey, why are you doing this? To share Christ and the love of Christ with them. And there's an easy way that we can do that. Even this fall, as a couple of weeks ago, we heard Tom Christie talk about the Alpha Ministry. And, and if you know of people around you who don't know Christ and, and who you want to help uh, come into a relationship with God, stop by the Ministry Information Center and the Alpha section there. Pick up one of these brochures and, 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 and go to work or go to your school or go someplace where people you know don't know Christ, who you're friends with, and say, hey, we've got a, a ministry at our church. It's going to be a night where you can come and have a free dinner. And if you've got questions about God or what this Christian thing is about, you have questions about life, get those questions answered. Why don't you come with me and join me on September 11th and go pick them up and be here with them? You know, when, what's the greatest thing we can do for someone is to is to introduce them to a relationship with God. Bill Hybels, whose book, Making Life Work, uh, that's been a resource for us as pastors in in much of this series on Proverbs, uh, writes in the book about how he introduced somebody to God uh, some years ago. And, uh, And after doing that, a couple years later, he received this note from the guy. I want to read this in closing. He said, Dear Bill, I am two years new now. (laughs) I like that. I am two years new. Two years ago, the words amazing grace meant nothing to me. But now I know that I was lost and now I'm found. How amazing is His grace. Thank you for everything. Thank you for everything. And you know, in a way, it really is everything. It's forgiveness of sin. It's a clean conscience. It's adoption into the family of God. It is acceptance into into God's family. It's a hope for the future. It's purpose in life. And ultimately, it's heaven when we die. Folks, we want to do goodness to people. Go out into our community and into our world and invest in people's lives physically and emotionally. And share our love with Jesus for them. Walk around with the awareness that when we introduce someone to God, it is the greatest gift that we can give them. Because it lasts forever. And so will you and I be a servant today? And tomorrow and the next day? And we walk beside those in our family, those in our community, those in our schools, those in our places of work who have needs, and minister to them in the name of Jesus Christ as a servant of the living God.